This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant Podcast is for people who are passionate about farming, gardening, food politics, food security, and the intersections among these topics. At theruminant.ca, you'll find a summary of each episode, as well as book reviews, essays, and photo-based blog posts to stimulate your thinking about food production. I tweet, at ruminantblog, and email from editor at theruminant.ca. Alright, time for the show. Hey folks, it's Jordan. So, every other week on the Ruminant Podcast, we feature short segments that focus on the practical aspects of farming. And we're at another one of those episodes. I've got two segments for you this week. The first one is mainly aimed at market gardeners, although I think there's some stuff in there for for most small and middle-sized farmers. It's my interview with Robert Siegfried, who is the owner of a company called Mid-Atlantic Farm Sensors. That's midatlanticfarmsensors.com. And Robert contacted me after I put out a call based on a listener request for kind of mainstream off-the-shelf versions of what is otherwise very expensive and specialized farm equipment. That was Seth from, I believe, Amistad Farm, who, who made that request a while back. And Robert wrote to tell me that he started a company with that idea in mind. He explained that for a long time, there has been farm-specific technology that allows very high-level forms of, of monitoring for information around the farm using remote sensors and a central dashboard, but that it has been very expensive and so really out of reach to the small to medium-scale farmer. Robert's company has adapted technology used in other industries that is much cheaper and just as effective, according to Robert. So you're going to hear from him. And with regards to this segment, I just want to make clear that while Robert clearly contacted me because he has something that he's selling that he he wanted you to know about, I am not, uh, this is not a formal sponsorship. I haven't received anything from Robert in exchange for this segment. And I treated this interview like any other interview with someone who has some information that I thought would be of interest to my listeners. What I can tell you, though, is that Robert does have a substantial discount on his product that he is willing to give away to one listener, and there'll be more info about that at the end of the segment. Okay, so after that segment, we have one that will be of interest to pastured livestock folks. A few weeks back, I had a conversation with John McCauley of of chickenpeople.com. Uh, you might recall he was talking about how to keep your, your birds dry in uh, cold and wet conditions. Well, John's back, and this time we're going to be talking about whether the newbie pastured poultry farmer should consider getting into broilers or layers uh, as a first stab at at pastured poultry. So that's coming up second. I hope you enjoy the episode, and uh, well, here is the bio of Robert Siegfried. I'm Bob Siegfried, the owner-operator of Mid-Atlantic Farm Sensors. My background is as an environmental scientist, and we're looking to bring sensors uh, for environmental monitoring to the small and mid-level market farmers. Bob Siegfried, welcome to the Room in a Podcast. Thanks, Jordan. Glad to be here. What is your startup? What's the name of it, and, and what's it about? Yeah, my startup is Mid-Atlantic Farm Sensors. What we're looking to do is bring sort of the Internet of Things to our small and mid-scale um, farmers. Uh, you know, a lot, big ag for years has been able to afford large sensor systems, you know, but they were often bulky, very expensive, thousands of dollars. Um, they required 
solar panels and batteries and technicians to set them up to transmit back, you know, temperature data and soil data. And we felt there was a way to to bring that same technology now that that everything's miniaturizing uh, to to small scale farmers at a at a mu- at, mu- at a much more cost effective uh, price point. Right. Okay. So let's uh, let's try and create some some context here. This sounds really interesting. Um, I operate a small scale veggie farm. Um, so so how might I use a system like this uh, on my farm? Like what kinds of things would I be measuring? Yeah. So, so there's a couple different things you may be uh, worried about. Um, you've got a greenhouse that you may heat in the spring to get your starts going for your spring production. Uh, you might uh, go to bed at night hoping that the heater still ru- is running through the night and not cutting out on you. You might have a walk-in cooler in the summer that you, you, you know, depending on the, take the crop heat out of your uh, produce before you take it to market. So a number of different things like that, um, soil temperatures, uh, soil moisture, uh, these systems that we've adapted from um, other industries, if anything goes wrong, it'll actually email you, text you, or call you on the phone and wake you up and alert you to that something's going wrong before it's, uh, you've lost your crop or lost the produce that you've harvested and put in your walk-in. Okay, very cool. So, I mean, I'm probably simplifying a little bit but is it fair to say if it's something that i might be interested in measuring around the farm it can be a sensor can be used to measure it and then send the data to a centralized i guess online dashboard uh that that that, kind of keeps track and also alerts me when something's not right correct there's three basic components the sensors the gateway, which is the really the, the new component that it's that making it a lot cheaper, uh, the gateway acts like the mothership. It collects the radio data that's coming out of the wireless sensors, and then it pushes it up to our cloud-based dashboard. Um, and it uses either a cellular signal if you're way out in a rural area, or if you're lucky and you've got a, a wireless router like in your barn or your your farm office, you can connect it to that. And then the dashboards have become really um, user-friendly, all kinds of adjustments. You put your phone number in there. Your, uh, you can set it to tell you exactly what temperature it is and give you warnings if it's too high or too low in the greenhouse. Um, and it's very flexible. Um, you can turn it off anytime you want to just from an iPad or iPhone or, or a basic desktop computer. Right. So... Bob, on one end of the spectrum, you kind of already covered, you've got systems that have existed for a long time for large scale agriculture that are for most small farmers, probably inaccessible in terms of price. Um, But on the other end of the spectrum, you do, we do have like simple monitoring systems like, you know, you can have a a wireless thermometer in your hoop house uh, that, that can send you an alarm um, when, when the temperature is dropped too low or too, or gone too high. Well, what is the limitation of, of that system, which you could probably yeah. go and get at, at a farm supply store or hardware store? Yeah. So um, a, big, a big kind of technology change that's happened is, is in the uh, uh, battery consumption and radio transmission distance. So there's a, a lot of the, the lower-end sort of, uh, products 
have a fairly short. Um, I have a wireless thermometer here, but it sh you know it can only shoot by a hundred feet max. Um, where the systems that we, we've got, they, there are different ones out there. Some of them are about a three hundred foot um, transmission distance, and then there's a system that has a thousand foot transmission distance. So we're talking being able to uh, space sensors out across the farm, uh, even in fields. Uh, remotely located uh, hoop house or something and still be able to get that data back to the gateway and push it up to the internet. Um, and once it's up there, um, the dashboards, like I say, are really customizable, allowing you to set thresholds and times of day when it won't, you know, it doesn't need to send you messages. Um, and it also stores that data for the long term. So, so it, it allows you to kind of mitigate different types of risk you might have, overheated greenhouses, things like that. But at the same time, you're able to go back and look historically at your data and, and, and see how maybe the temperatures were performing uh, last year versus this year. Um, and I think over time, as people get experience looking at their data more, they'll actually start seeing patterns that will help them become better, uh, more productive. Uh, right. I, I mean, that, right, off the, right off the bat, I can think about – I don't know if I if I was if I wanted to. It sounds like I could monitor the soil temperature over you know starting in from February onwards, um, and every and if I kept doing that year after year, I could start to get a good sense of how how the soil warms up and and start to tailor my plantings to and be able to plan based on past patterns and that sort of thing. Hey, yeah, exactly, and. Um... You know, there's, uh, it's all, you know, you can pull the data out of the cloud into an Excel spreadsheet. Um, you know, if you're, you're like me and a little bit of a data geek and do a lot of your own little analysis, you could do growing degree days. Um, so you can track sort of pest emergence from year to year uh, and see how that might change. Um, and there's a lot of sensors other than just temperature. There's humidity. You know, what's the humidity in your walk-in? Are you keeping it high enough? Let's just imagine. I just want to. I want to. I want to even get more specific in terms of on my own farm. So I imagine then that I could, through using your system, I could be monitoring a hoop house, and and let's say I don't want it to go higher than ninety Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, I don't want my walk-in cooler to get higher than say forty-four Fahrenheit. I also don't right. want the humidity to get above or below a certain range in that cooler. And I've also like to have a sensor in some soil because I want to know, I want to, I want to know when the temperature is consistently staying above 50 degrees Fahrenheit because that's when I want to plant peas. And I, I think of that example because I've actually been out with my own, a digital thermometer about 20 times in the last in the last week or so, measuring the soil temp out where I want to plant peas because I'm waiting for it to stay consistently above 50. I guess that's, that's, so those, those different applications, those could all be measured and centralized. Uh, yep. and then I'd be getting the information on my phone or tablet or whatever. Yeah. And in, in the sensor that's in the soil, but could actually, you could set it up to, to call you or text you, Hey, it's 49 degrees ah. so that you know, instead of going out there and keep constantly checking it, it tells you when it's almost ready. You know, so you can you can not have to spend time checking temperatures or checking you know things. You know, you let the system do that and and rely on it to call you when it's time to take an action instead of um, you know uh, worrying about you know uh, is the temperature still okay in the greenhouse in the middle of a cold snap or something. 
Uh, so a lot of interesting applications, um, and they're coming up with more and more sensors. There's leaf wetness, light intensity, um, lots of cra lots of interesting sensors, um, and they're all getting smaller and cheaper uh, and, and less battery hungry. That's the, that's been the big innovation. Right, and that's essentially what years. that's essentially how you've you've been able to scale this down to small scale farming because you're using technology that was developed for other industries like i think you mentioned the it industry right yeah yeah exactly right so bob um let's say that i want to try this out and i'm gonna plan on starting with three different measurements three sensors um i need to invest uh in some hardware that you sell and then i need to also be paying for like i guess i'm you if i have it right like a monthly subscription fee to to operate my online dashboard so uh, say say three measurements or three sensors what what is it what are we looking at in terms of investment yeah so you've got to have a gateway and that will either be wi-fi or cellular and then you'd have your three sensors um different depending on the farm different sensors um size of farm and stuff so basically it's about a $500 to get a gateway and, and one or two sensors, depending on what you're looking at measuring. Um, additional sensors are about $100 a piece. And then monthly fees, if you have to use a cellular signal because you don't have Internet on, on site, that, that's usually about $15 a month. And you can get a month-to-month a -month plan, which is perfect for the farmers. Um, you know, if your production period is, you know, February to November, and you don't want to pay in the winter when you're not farming, you use the month-to-month -month option. Or, um, I know a, a flower farmer, her, her season is the other way around. She runs all through the winter with heated greenhouses, and that's when she runs her sensors, and she doesn't need them in the summer. So it allows farmers to only pay for when they're actually in production. Um, so five, six hundred bucks would get you three sensors, the gateway, and then you know, 15 bucks a month plus the dashboard access, uh, depending on different manufacturers, uh, might be an additional 30 to $40 a, a year. So right. Pretty reasonable and, you know, right in line, I think, with a lot of other sort of online services that farmers often use, you know, CSA sign-up software and you know, oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I invested in CSA software last year and I was spending 150 a month. <laughs> on that for the for the months yeah. that I was active. So no, that doesn't seem it definitely in terms of the potential for what this this technology can do. It it doesn't it it seems pretty affordable. Um so yeah. is this is this stuff ready to go or are you are you selling right now or are you still prepping? No, um you know, we're we're uh we have some that are out on test farms right now. Uh and we're getting certified locally to sell to a um local uh uh, state agency, uh, so we're getting certified with the state to sell them a, a system for their research uh, greenhouses. Um, but yeah, we're ready to um, help farmers out, uh, provide these systems. And remember, these things have been in the market for years, uh, have tens of thousands of units already deployed, and that's part of what we wanted to do was get a system that's already been used, been in use. It's reliable. It's backed up by a manufacturer with with extensive tech support, but then adapt it to to a, a, a slightly different use. Bob, I, I didn't ask you, Is who's installing this? Is it easy enough for the farmer to install, or yeah. are there additional setup costs? Like, 
No, that was one of the things we were looking for. We didn't want to have that technician having to come out because then you start adding labor costs. What we do is we actually get the equipment here. We plug in your cell phone number, your email. We set the thresholds that you told us you wanted so it's all kind of set up. And then we put it back in the box and we send it to you. You just take it out of the box and put it where it's supposed to go, plug it in, um, put the batteries in, and she's up and running. And then you can go into the software and see how we set things up um, and then play around with any adjustments. But that way it's ready to roll when you get it, you know. Um, so that was one of the key ways of keeping the cost down is not having to have somebody install it. Um, you know, we, we do do like a telephone interview where we, uh, we talk about what you need and I actually look at your farm on Google Earth so I can measure, you know, how far is it from your house to the barn to the greenhouse so I can know that well, which which type of uh, system do you need based on, you know, radio transmission distances. Well, Bob's, Bob Siegfried, I'm I'm really glad you came on to tell uh, my listeners about this. It sounds really interesting, and I wish you luck with your, your new company. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it very much. All right, so that's the end of the segment. Except, as I said at the beginning, Robert is putting on a draw for a 40% discount for one listener off of kind of a starter setup of one of these uh, sensor systems. So as I'm told, the, the package will include the, the main gateway plus two sensors. This has a retail value of between five and $600 US, depending on how you set it up. And Robert will give to one listener a 40% discount uh, off of that package. And uh, he wanted me to emphasize that's just off the package. The, the regular monthly fees that come along with uh, using the system, um, there's no discount on that. But if you're interested, uh, I've got a link in the show notes to Robert's site. I, I believe he has set up uh, uh, just a basic form. You can submit your email, and I think he wants you to tell you tell him why you're interested in the system, and you'll be entered in the draw. So good luck to those who compete, and on with the show. Well, hello. I'm John McCauley. I run uh, Healthy Hen Farms in uh, Oxford, North Carolina. Um, we primarily produce pastured poultry, um, really the broilers, um, and, and we do about 8,000 birds a year. Um, so a fairly large operation, uh, one of the largest in this area at least. Um, and uh, I also do uh, online pastured poultry webinars. Um, so you can check our farm out at healthyhenfarms.com or uh, if you're interested in, in learning more in-depth uh, topics about pasture poultry, you can check us out at chickenpeople.com. John, thanks a lot for, for coming onto the room and to, to talk about pastured poultry with us. Th- thanks, Jordan. I appreciate appreciate the invite. So, John, today what I want to ask you about is uh, something for, for true newbies, okay? So say, say you get approached by someone who is really charged up about doing pastured poultry for the first time and uh, has read up, assume they've, you know, they've read a lot and they, they, they have a, right. de- a, a decent understanding of what they need to do. Um, but their question for you is, should I start with broilers or layers? What, what do you think you'd tell them? Well, you know, it, it, that's a that's a big one of those. Uh, it depends, right? Um, I, I always recommend uh, 
broilers if they can jump into broilers, you know, because when you look at layers, uh, layers are certainly easier uh, to get into from a from an investment standpoint, from a, um, you know, you don't have to figure out processing or, or what to do, at least for a couple of years uh, with your spent hens. And um, so it, it's really, it's an easier, um, it's an easier alternative to get into layers uh, and to grow that slowly uh, than it is to get into broilers. Uh, because, you know, broilers is kind of like uh, what Joel Salton talks about with grain production, right? You're either in or you're out. Um, and you, and when you're in, you're in it with a, a fairly significant investment if you're going to, if you're going to look at it like a, a, you know, a profitable business. Um, so, you, you know, when you take layers, for example, you know, I always recommend people, first of all, start small, right, and learn while it's cheap. Um, you know, you, you're going to, regardless of how, how much you've learned. And so I always recommend people start small, learn learn most of your big mistakes while it's cheap. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, let's say you started with, with a 500-layer, you know, flock, and, and you're looking at, at sex links. You know, we use red sex links, um, a very productive bird, and they, and they don't they don't eat a lot. Um, and so, you know, you're looking at, at roughly – for those 500 birds at 300 eggs a year, so 12 to 13,000 um, dozen is what you're going to get out of that flock. Um, and let's say you make a dollar a dozen, right? So, so 12 to 13,000 bucks for a year of labor or a year and four months, counting the time that they weren't laying that you have to raise them. Right. Um, and, and then, and then you're talking twice a day to at least twice a day labor. So you got to go out and feed them, open the nest boxes, et cetera. And then you got to go collect. And, and I recommend collecting twice a day, right? If you, if you don't want to spend a ton of labor on, on, uh, cleaning eggs. Um, so 12,500 for a year and four months of labor at twice a day labor is you know, on a 500 bird flock. That's a fairly large layer flock, right? To start with. Um, so you're not talking about a ton of potential profit there. Um, you know, for, for a lot of, of labor that goes into it. So I typically tell people to start with broilers, um, and, and then you can add on the layers as additional income once you have the market for the broilers. But the broilers, I mean, for our farm, Jordan, you know, the broilers are what finance everything we do. Um, it's a, it's a significant investment up front. Um, but you know, it's got the quickest return on your investment, um, and and you're typically making, you know, right much more profit for the labor that goes into it, at least in our opinion. Well, John, could you that was that was really cool. Just the the very very rough numbers you used with the layers. Could you do could you try and do that for broilers? Then is it is it make sense to kind of talk about 500 broilers and so that we could compare? Can you just take us through sure. some rough numbers in, yeah. involving labor and and gross revenues and what you just did? Absolutely. So, um, well, depending on what you're feeding, right? Feed, feed is the feed is by far probably the largest uh, uh, cost component. I've got uh, my cost breakdown for for broilers. I've got basically 42 inputs that go into a broiler, uh, my broiler cost. But feed is the largest component of that. And you know, because we've chosen, so we only feed certified organic, soy-free, non-GMO feed. Um, so that feed costs me. 
you know, two and a half times what, what it would cost if I just went to, a, a, a you know, my, my local uh, uh, feed mill and, and got a, just a standard, uh, a standard, you know, uh, uh, ration for my poultry. So I'm paying a lot more. And so we're getting, um, you know, right, right much more uh, for our end product as well, right? We charge more to account for that uh, additional cost. But, um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of things uh, that, that, do, that value add to our broilers that really push up the revenue, right? So it, it's easier for me to make more money on one bird than it is for me to, to raise another bird. Um, and so we, we, you know, like every part, we've got a market for almost every part. All of our feet are sold, all of our livers, hearts, et cetera. So when, when you're talking uh, pushing, you know, every part and doing cut-up, so 80% of our business is cut-up, you can really push the per-bird our, our per bird revenue, just just to give you an idea, is is in the neighborhood of thirty to thirty five dollars per bird, mm. is what we get, and that's our average revenue per bird. Um, and the reason for that is a lot of the reasons that I just told you, right? We've developed a market for every single part. So, you know, you look at feet, for example. A lot of people compost feet because they haven't developed the market for. Well, that's a third a pound per bird, and and our feet go from three to four dollars a pound. So you're talking about a dollar a bird just right there in the in the two feet that. Most most people just throw right in the compost pile, um, and, and that's what we used to do, right? So we, we had to learn and we had to grow that market. But you know, a lot of people start out trying to shoot for a, a five to six dollar uh, per bird profit uh, from their broilers, and and uh, you know, there's some stuff from from APA that you, you know kind of breaks that down and, and and you know tells you, but but that's based on a conventional feed um, as well. So we we typically you know, we're we're shooting for really two to three times that um, on a per bird uh, net profit, um, and so you you know it's a but but again it takes a lot of time to develop that market. So when you're saying 500 broilers, if I run 500 broilers in my in my operation, and in eight weeks I've basically got fifteen thousand dollars worth of of, of sales. Um, you know, and, and you're looking at uh, $10, just a rough number, a $10 a bird, you, you, you know, um, uh, profit. So you're making 5000 you know, $5,000 a profit in eight weeks, right? Assuming you've got the market uh, and, uh, for your birds. So. Right. And then, and then yeah. I guess you could run at, at the very least in most regions, at least three generations. So, you know, over 24 weeks or something like that. And uh... yeah, so, so what we do, I mean, we, we have a, um, when we start our batches, you know, we'll start getting chicks in and then every three weeks we're getting another batch. Um, and we do very large batches. So, you know, we're, we're talking six to 800 bird batches. Um, and, and it's really, that that's all to do with how many we can process in a day, um, comfortably. So with, with our processing set up on farm, you know, we can do about 130 to 140 birds an hour. And that makes for about a good day where, where people are, have been on their feet for about as long as they can take when you add the cleanup time and, and everything else that goes into a processing date. So you can, we do it every three weeks. And so we start processing. When we start processing at eight weeks, we're actually processing every three weeks as well uh, for the rest of the season. Um, and so you can you can have these batches really built on top of each other, right? And you could do it weekly. I mean, you could you could have a hundred birds come every week, but you know you're processing every week. So it really depends on 
you know, the situation and, and what you're trying to shoot for. We we kind of we scale that to our market and and uh, and and how many birds we think we can sell that year, um, and then kind of work it backwards from that on how many processing dates we need to have. Okay, so getting back to the original question, then it just sounds like yeah. for the for the beginner or the newbie, it just um, return on investment of time is higher. Is I mean, if I if I really boil it down uh, with with broilers compared to layers, correct? It it, it is, um, you know, and and I'll say one you know one other thing is is the competition, right? I and mean, there's a there's a ton of people that have eggs for sale. I mean, they're everywhere from the side of the road, people having signs saying eggs for sale to everybody at the farmer's market having, you know, uh, at least a few dozen eggs for sale from their, their small flocks. And, you know, it's hard to differentiate yourself in the, the egg market in our experience. Right. But but if you can get in the broilers and really kind of grow that, there, there's a lot fewer people doing it. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot fewer, there, there's a lot fewer people doing it consistently and always having chicken. And, and that's really where, where we've kind of set ourselves apart. So if, if you're in a market and, you know, you see, you know, Hey, you know, a farmer will have 50 chickens and he might not have any for two months after he's sold out of those. And I mean, that's typically what you see around here. And so we're, you know, we, we've kind of got found a niche where you know hey if you, if you can consistently have that product and people learn to come back to you over and over and over again they know you always have chicken it will build your market just 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 due to that um so i think there's a, a bigger opportunity as well but i guess the um, i guess the the flip side or, or a reflection of why pe- more people grow eggs is uh, raise egg layers is just because it does require uh, a little more complexity to raise the broilers, right? Just just because of the the, yeah. the, the you have to have a system of uh, an affordable a- system for slaughter and and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and it's harder, right? It's harder work. I mean, I you know, when I give presentations on on pasture poultry, I tell people right up front. I said, look, if you're going to do this, you need to be you, you need to realize and be comfortable with the fact that this is the absolute hardest way you could choose to raise poultry when it comes to labor it is labor intensive right and so if you're not comfortable with doing that work and a lot of people don't a lot of people don't want to put in the hard work then don't then absolutely steer away from this um because it is you you're choosing to raise chickens about the hardest way you can you know when you look at the number of people that are successfully doing uh pasture broilers Verse, and, and this is my market, and I feel like it's probably true in a lot of other markets as well. There's just a lot more people that that have 10 or 12 cows, or uh, uh, they're raising 20 pigs a year, um, or they're raising you know uh, uh, 150, 200 layers, and always have a bunch of eggs, right? Uh, so there, there's just a lot fewer people um, that you see that that are doing the pasture broilers, and I think that's that's a result of you know, hey, a lot of farmers, we all know a lot of farmers have all-farm jobs, right? And there's only so much labor that can go into that farm. Um, and so I think I think that's a, a direct result of that is that farmers have to choose, you know, what, what matches up with what they can actually put into the farm. And, and when it comes to poultry, I think it's one of the most labor-intensive things that, that we can do. Well, John, I, I uh, you know, I'm really glad that you're you're being really uh, um, frank about about you know what it takes uh, to to be a pastured uh, poultry person 
But uh, I don't want to end on a downer. And clearly, there's something to be said for it because you're doing it, and and, and clearly you're passionate, and you're you're, uh, I presume, making a good living from it. So let's let's yeah. <laughs> let's end on a high note. Yep. I mean, I guess yeah, I would I, I would assume yeah. I would assume that, um, you know, notwithstanding your cautions, if you're someone who loves working out and developing good systems and is prepared to work hard that it can be a really rewarding branch of farming it it absolutely can and i think there's a place you know there could be in my market for example in the raleigh durham area i mean there there could be a couple dozen of guys like me and i still don't think that we would saturate the market. I think, you know, I, I think we've heard this over and over from different people, but there, there, there is certainly uh, the need, and the market continues to grow. You know, you look at, you look back '96, '97, when my wife and I first came back from Polyface, and and we started a farm here in North Carolina. I mean, man, it, we had to work so hard. Uh, at trying to sell this because it just, you know, people weren't looking for pasture. They weren't looking, you know, they were barely, you know, considering organic, you know, back then. So it was very, it was a much different market and a much harder place to sell. Today, I mean, we don't do any advertising whatsoever. And, and you know, we continue to grow by several thousand birds a year. Um, it's just, you know, the market in my opinion, the market is certainly far from uh, being satisfied, and I think there's a tremendous opportunity there. Um, and I think, you know, if you if you do it right and you value add, you know, all the things that make other businesses great, um, you know, th- there's certainly an opportunity to make a good living uh, d- doing pasture broilers, and, and that's why we've chosen, you know, it, it is our flagship for our farm, and that's, that's what we put all of our focus into, so. Okay. Well, uh, John McCauley, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this. Thanks so much. Jordan, I appreciate it. I wish you guys the best. Today I all right. That's all, folks. And that's all I got. Man, it is crazy busy on the farm right now. So I'm out. Talk to you next week. Trying to give me the screw. But if we bury ourselves in the woods in the country Wear no clothes so we never have laundry We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves Live life like it was meant to be Ah, don't fret, honey, I've got a plan To make our final escape All we'll need is each other A hundred dollars Maybe a roll of duct tape And we'll run right outside of the city's reaches We'll live off chestnut spring water and peaches We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves And live life like it was meant to be trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of things
while soul searching and here's my final resolve i don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong so we'll run right out into the wilds and graces we'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be